0: Thank you, everybody. How you doing this morning? Good. Oh, that was weak. That was... Let's try again. How you guys doing this morning? Wee! All right. Uh, glad to be here. I love that I get to be here each week with, with you guys, uh, teaching and sharing with you what God's put on my heart. Uh, but I will just kind of warn you, the word I'm going to use today may trigger some of you. It, it may trigger some people, and um, maybe you'll laugh when you find out what it is. Maybe you'll say, oh, great, when I say what it is. But um, we're going to talk about something that either some people have or you don't. And maybe you want more of it or you don't want it at all. Or maybe you want it, but you don't want to pray about it because you have no. Or you probably know how God's going to give it to you, and you don't want it the way God's going to give it to you. So it, it's going to be a fun thing. But before we dive into what that word is, some of you may already know, but don't shout it out. No spoilers. Um, before we say what that word is specifically, I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going we're to look at Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 today, because a whole lot happens with, uh, with the disciples and the apostles and everything post-Jesus, and it's, it's an incredible story that we get to dive into. And if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, like I said, there is a ton that goes on in the book of Acts. We'll start with, uh, it starts with Jesus speaking to his disciples after being resurrected from the dead. He goes into heaven, his church starts, there's church planting, there's persecution, there's lies, there's death, there's betrayal, there's stoning, there's miracles. Acts is an incredible book. Um, Now I actually, for some people that um, I've actually talked to, they said, I haven't spent too much time in Acts. I know the stories, but there's an actual overview that I found that I really, really like. So if you turn your attention to the screens, you're going to see the book of Acts in three minutes. (laughs) so you can read all about that in more detail in the book of acts but um it's it's pretty amazing stuff and a lot of stuff to look forward to as you dissect acts but i love chapters one and two specifically because i think they teach us an incredible principle about this uh trigger word that i'm going to bring to our attention here um i love that in acts we see god doing amazing things through normal people we see God doing amazing things through people that we would say are criminals and scumbags and dirtbags, like what he did with, with Saul when he changed him to Paul and Paul started planting churches. It, it's an incredible what we see. But the, this word, let's, uh, let's pray before I unveil this to you so you don't boo me off stage. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that we get to dive into your word. I thank you that we uh, get to learn from you and hear how you work through incredible things in scripture. And I pray that today you, uh, you sit at every chair, God, you touch every heart, and uh, you, you challenge us today in a great way that allows us to examine our lives, examine our walk with you, and really see what you're doing in the midst of everything. So God, we thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so you probably all know what this word's gonna be by now. Either you have it or you don't, you don't really wanna ask for it, but we're going to talk about patience. We're going to have this wonderful P word, patience. How many of you guys, and you can raise your hands for this one, how many of you would say you are a patient person? You, you have it. You're patient. Great. I know that at home, um, my family tells me that I, I do have patience. I have a lot of patience. The thing that I don't have patience for is when my five-year-old at three in the morning is banging on my door. I can't sleep. That's the thing that gets me upset. Most other things I have patience for. But sometimes, you know, you find out that, People have patience, and some of you, even if you raise your hand, you probably had someone you know look at you and go, why is your hand up? <laughs> right, really? You're saying you have patience? Okay. But on the flip side, how many of you guys would honestly say, patience is not my thing? It's, it's not, I, I don't like waiting, yep, just just about as many, it looks like we have like a 50-50 split, right? Some people have it, some people don't, and usually the people that don't have it, probably it's not a proud thing, maybe it is, but they're like, I don't have patience, not patient, get over it. And you got to get over it now, because I'm not going to wait for you to get over it, Right? You just got to go through it. But it's funny to see how people's patience can change over time. Some of us maybe had patience. Then we had kids. (laughs) Then we have no patience. And even as the kids get older, you don't find yourself regaining that patience. It's just less and less and less, right? It's just something that just fades over time. Now, we do not live in a patient world, right? I found some fun stats on America when it comes to patience and waiting. So check these out. We don't live in a patient world. 96% of Americans will knowingly consume extremely hot food or drink that burns their mouth. Knowingly. 63% do it twice with the same food item. That's ridiculous, right? More than half people hang up their phone after being on hold for one minute or less. You hear the wait music? Done. 71% frequently exceed the speed limit to get to their destination faster. Now, what we've learned is that's really a California thing. In Washington, we're begging people to speed up, is what we found. Americans, maybe, I'm guilty of this one. Americans will binge watch an average of seven TV episodes in a single sitting. Nearly a third of people ages 18 to 24 late less than one second before bypassing a slow walker. Generation Y people check their phones an average of eight times when waiting to hear back from someone that they've dated. When waiting for a table in a restaurant, nearly a quarter of people wait less than one minute before approaching the host again after the wait period has passed. One minute. That's insane. When you, when you think about this, it's, it's easy to say, we do not live in a patient world. We do not generally classify as a patient people. Waiting patience is not one of the strong categories of us, especially you know, when we have Amazon Prime now guaranteeing you things. It's not even always two-day anymore. Now they're doing next day at the exact same thing. It's like if you order by noon, you'll get it tomorrow free. And this is forcing other companies now to start upping their waiting game. If you start now seeing this could take two to three weeks to ship, you probably will never shop on that website again. right? You're like, And you're not up with the times. I'm not waiting for you. We don't live in a patient world. Now, we're gonna take a look today at why waiting is such a big deal. Why is patient why it is such a big thing? Why it's a good thing to have, and why there is such a huge payoff when you understand how God works when it comes to our patients. So to summarize, where we're going to be in Scripture today, like uh, kind of what the video showed, Acts takes us ploo- through right after the Gospels, the story and, and the story of Jesus. The disciples thought it was over; they'd witnessed Jesus' death, they'd seen him resurrect, and now after 40 days, they watch him ascend into heaven. And that's kind of where we pick up today here. Now, what I'd like everybody to do real quick: everybody, close your eyes, and trust me, I'm not going to do anything weird. I promise. Close your eyes. Tilt your head up as if you're looking up at the sky and just imagine this for just a minute. And go ahead and just just do that now. If you're online, do it too. No cheating. I know no one's watching, but do it. Some of you may be wondering how long I'm going to make you do this. Patience. All right, so check this out. How many of you honestly thought in that moment, I thought this was just a one-second thing? Maybe I, Why am I still doing this? He's quiet for a long time. Now I'm hearing the kids stomp. Now I'm getting distracted, right? You start wondering, what's the next thing? Well, there's always patience. You see, the waiting game begins so many times in our life, even when we're not expecting it to. Someone can say that magic word to us. Hey, just wait a second. I know when I say that to my daughter Avery, that's like that's the worst thing in the world I could say to her. Daddy, can I have a granola bar? Just wait a second. Ah, you know, just the collapse, the meltdown. It's like, it's a granola bar, kid. Just wait a second. Just calm down. But we don't like to wait. But here in this context, the waiting game had begun for the disciples. They watched Jesus to ascend. And ascension can be hard for us even to understand. I think it was hard for them to understand, and they witnessed it. They were standing right there when they watched Jesus go. But they kept waiting to see what would happen next. I love where this, the scripture picks up, because when Jesus goes, they are there waiting. Even the disciples had to learn patience. Even the disciples had to learn patience. So let's read together in um, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 3, what happens in this exact moment in scripture. Now it says this. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John was baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, "'Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel?' He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. While they were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, I love this passage because the disciples, like they're, they're ready for it, right? They even ask because they thought when Jesus came that he was going to overthrow the Romans and he didn't do it. So they're still asking him now. He's walking with them and he's getting ready to go. You're going to be my disciples. Like, are you going to throw it out? Is, is now the time? And he goes, guys, just wait. You don't get to know that time. Just wait and I'll return to you the same way that I'm leaving. And then he goes and what do they do? They stand there staring. He tells them to go, but they stand there staring. And it takes a couple angels to appear, and they had to go look at him and say, guys, guys, go. It is, it is literally time for you to go. Did you not hear him just say, it is time to go do something? I know you have, you have to go wait, but you have to go wait somewhere else. It's time for you to go. He, they had to send them on his way. But he gave them a promise before he did. He promised them to wait, and the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them, but they had to stay in Jerusalem and wait for this promise from God. Now, he said that the Holy Spirit was going to baptize them. This had to be exciting and hard, because they had been with him for three years, three incredible and crazy years. And when he was crucified, they were terrified. They went and they hid. There were disciples that had run. They were on their way out of the city, not knowing that he was going to resurrect or that he had resurrected. There was a time of panic and fear, hiding because they knew the Romans were coming for him. But he raises from the dead, and he turns that fear into an incredible celebration, an incredible time where they are now celebrating and rejoicing that he has come back. And at this point, now they're fired up. Have you ever, I, I played football growing up, and I, I like to think of, you know, the, the fourth quarter rally, you know, you get to the sideline, and, and the coach is telling you guys, maybe you're losing, and he's, he just gives this incredible speech, and one of my favorites I showed a number of weeks ago is the Remember the Titans speech, where Coach Yates is telling them, make them forget, never forget the day they played the Titans, and everyone gets fired up, so I imagine this is that moment. They're, Jesus says, I'm here, I'm going, I'm, you're going to be my witnesses and disciples, go tell everyone what's going on, and they're like, yeah, he goes, now go wait. What? could imagine my coach doing that to us on the sideline and then saying, actually, we're going to um, delay the fourth quarter for about 30 minutes, so just chill. It's like buzzkill, right? I have to wait for this? This is, this is not how I envisioned this going down. I was ready to go. And they were ready to go, but they were told to go and wait. This, I think, would have been a scary time, but also an exciting time I remember, if you can think of your own life when you had to wait to go somewhere or something was going to change drastically, and you you can either be real excited for it or you can be scared about it, this is one of those times. I remember when I was in the fourth grade, I switched elementary schools. Um, I was still living in a city in Vallejo in California, but I was switching from one school to another, and I remember the excitement that came with it. New school, new teachers, new friends, and this is going to be an exciting time, but also a little scary, right? If you've ever switched schools or you've had your kids switch schools, there's some nerves that kind of come with it, too. Like, I don't know anybody there. And The, the what ifs start to flood your mind. What if they don't like me? It was never a question I had to ask myself. But, but what if they don't like me? What, what, if, what if I don't like them? What, what, what if I don't like the teachers? What if it's just not a fit? What if this, is, what if this ruins school for me? You, and, that, and that's just a school example, but I think we can all ask ourselves those questions when something drastically changes. What if? What if this person doesn't respond? What if I say I'm sorry and they don't care? What if I ask for forgiveness and they say no? And sometimes it takes a lot of patience to get over these things. This is probably what it was like when the disciples were waiting for Jesus' promise. What is this going to feel like? He's gone. He said he's coming back. What exactly are we waiting for? What is going to happen? I do know, though, that the disciples did know they were not the first person God had made a promise to and then told to wait. All throughout Scripture, we see a common theme, and I, I love that we see this at so many times. God makes people wait. God makes people wait. And notice, I, I didn't say God will ask you to wait. God makes people wait so many times in Scripture where they don't even have a choice. They're like, I want to do it now, and God's like, nope, you got to wait. And, and we see it play out all for the better when God's plan comes into to, to the scene. Now, Hebrews 6, 13 to 15 says this. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, you probably know what was Abraham waiting for. He was waiting for a son. God promised him an heir. God promised him he would have many descendants. More specifically, God said, hey, look up at the stars in the sky. Your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. That is a big promise. And I can imagine the excitement Abraham had when God said, you're going to have descendants and you're going to have a family that's huge and Abraham's all excited for it. And then time starts to go by. And Abraham has to wait. This verse in Hebrews we just read says, Abraham... Patiently, uh, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Do you guys know how long it took for Abraham to have his son? From the day God promised him, it was 25 years. 25 years. That is a long time. But God kept his promise and gave Abraham a son. Now, Abraham had moments of waiting patiently, but there was one moment in this walk, one moment in this relationship where he decided he was not going to be patient. He decided to do things his own way. And if you go through the story of Abraham, you see him take matters into his own hands and he tries to do this without God. He says, all right, I know God made this promise. Abraham's wife gets in on it too. She says, yep, I think we need to take matters into our own hands. And he, he has a son with his, his, hand, his maidservant, Hagar, and that doesn't work out very well. There's a lot of conflict that started then and conflict that is still happening today because of that impatient moment. Despite that though, what I love is despite Abraham taking things into his own hands and having a son of the way God did not intend it to happen, God still keeps his promise. God doesn't look at Abraham and say, oh man, you totally screwed that up. You, you messed this up and because you did it on your own, I'm out, peace be with you. God says, no, I still made you a promise. As a matter of fact, in scripture, we see God saying, I'm actually gonna bless Ishmael here. I'm gonna bless the son that wasn't the one I promised you, but I did say I'd bless your descendants, so I am gonna be with him too. We see God expanding his promise And that's the God we serve, and I love that so much about him. God kept his promise to Abraham, and Abraham finally receives his son Isaac. And we see a very rich and deep heritage come through the bloodline of Abraham and Isaac, just like God promised. So Abraham had to wait 25 years. Sometimes we don't like waiting 25 minutes for something. Um, I love in the video where it it showed Paul at the Sisera DMV. We probably all have wonderful stories about the DMV or the DOT or DOL, as it's called here, but you know, it's, it's nothing that you, you sign up for and go, yes, I get to go talk about my car and registration today. You know you're going to wait in line, and for the most part, people that are working there aren't exactly the happiest people to talk to, right? There's not a lot of patience, and I've been there before, and the person in front of you, you always know it's going to be even better when the person in front of you is having a good fight with the person behind the counter, you said this. No, I said this. You don't get that. I want this. And it goes on for a while. And then they're like, next. And you're like, hey, I just need to renew my car. <laughs> but you already know patience is gone, right? This was a 25-year waiting game that God still kept into promise. Uh, Luke 2, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2, verses 25 to 26, we see another guy named Asimeon who gets to see a promise fulfilled to him through God. It says this, starting in a verse 25, Luke 2, 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So there's another promise from God coming up, right? There's one man named Simeon. God told him he would not die before meeting the promised Messiah, Jesus. And I love what happens. Picking up in verse 27, it says this. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts, When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. I love that, you know, Jesus hadn't revealed himself yet, even to the world. He's just a kid. But when Simeon sees him, the Holy Spirit reveals to him, this is the one I promised. This is the one who's here. And we see that when he had been waiting, it says there he had been waiting a lifetime to meet Jesus. And his prayer then, when he, when he finally sees him, I love what he says. He says, Lord, you can now dismiss me. He's like, God, now I can go. I don't know how old he was, but I know this was his life's waiting. This is what he was waiting for. This is what he was promised. And God delivered it to him at the time that was perfect for him. In these two stories, we see God's hand at work in people's lives, and we even see what happens specifically with Abraham, when, what happens when, uh, when we decide not to wait, right? I believe God makes us wait for a very specific reason, though. Patience isn't, isn't just for us. I think God makes us wait for his glory, not our own. God makes us wait for his glory, not our own. Habakkuk 2.3 says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Oftentimes we can try to put legs on our prayers if that makes sense. We can say, God, I really, really need help in Sarah. I need you to do something. And then we start to go for it and we start to act on it without waiting for God's answer. Or even if God gives us an answer and it's the wait answer, we're like, no, I don't want to wait. I really want to go for it. I need this now. So we put legs on our prayers and we start to act on it in a way that's not trusting God. And this is what we observe happen with Abraham and Sarah when God promised them a son. As the years ticked by, Old age crept in, impatience came with it. It's to the point now where Sarah realized, I know God promised us this, but I am physically incapable of having kids now. It got to that point where she's like, not only was I, was I barren before, but now age-wise, this is impossible. This cannot happen. This will not happen. And then her thoughts probably went to, if it's too late for me, it's going to be too late for you soon too. Like there's, it's gonna, we're going to both be out of luck here. We've got to do something about it. If we wait, we're going to miss out on God's promise. That was the fallacy in their thinking. What they could not see is that God was waiting to fulfill his promise to a time where you could only attribute it to him fulfilling the promise. There was gonna be no other medical explanation for it. There was gonna be no other person that could say, well, you know what? I've heard stories before of people that said they couldn't have kids, and, and they did, and that was awesome. Or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fluke, but it's congratulations for you. See, God waited till all of those excuses were gone. Those couldn't even be the afterthought of, well, this, this could have happened because of this reason. He waited till it was his glory that was going to be shown. To the point where you look back at this story, you say, there is no other reason ever this was the work and act and promise of God. Nothing else explains it. And that's when God made it happen. There was no way to put it back on Abraham and Sarah. There was no way for them to say, this is what we did in helping God keep his promise. It was the point where they said, we had to wait so long where God did it on his own. Throughout scripture, we see miracles that only occur after it's become impossible. Sometimes God allows us our greatest defeats before he raises us from the ashes of despair to say, and because you you experienced that, I get to do this. And nothing, it was just, my timing is so perfect, I could not do this until this happened. Until the world threw this at you, until you experienced this in your life, now you get to see how I can work and show you that only I get to make this happen. Not the world, not you, not your friends. I get to do this. That's how God redeems his promises. I think it's through the trouble or the delay that we think of God's promise that our faith really starts to get established. We get to really start building that trust in our waiting. I think it it takes very little faith to to get immediate gratification. To say, God, I really want this. Boom, it's yours. Yes! It's not really a faith growing thing, a faith testing there. But when, when we say, God, I need this, and we realize that God is not the genie from Aladdin, We don't just get to rub the lamp, say, God, I wish for this. Boom, and then we have it. When we get to wait and we know that God is in control and he has the story and he has this plan that he is orchestrating, that we, we don't get to see everything that happened in the past because we don't have amazing memories, except for my wife remembers everything I say all the time. We don't get to see the future, but God sees it all. He, sees every, he doesn't live in our time, so he gets to see, hey, if I fulfill this promise now, this is why it could glorify you a little bit. But if we wait, because I know what's going to happen here, this is the point where you get to turn to me and say, only God. This is the point where when I fulfill a promise for you, they get to turn to me and say, wow, that was only God. That's why we have to wait. God's promises aren't just goods and blessings to make us happy. They don't just come to, to bring a smile to our face. But through God, he gives us good gifts, but the deeper meaning is what lies behind the promise. It's what lies behind that promise. The promise is the work of God. What he's doing is a big picture of his will, not just the blessing that we desire, not just the thing or the need that we want. This promise was important to Abraham. This promise was important. He wanted a son, but I think this meant little outside of God's plan. Abraham wanted a son, and it would have been nothing for God to give him a son quickly. It would have been nothing for God to say, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Actually, your wife is three weeks pregnant, dude. It's already happening. That, that's not the point behind it. I think the bigger picture was how God established this, how he established his covenant, and how he sealed it with his miraculous promise. And the promise wasn't just Isaac. It was everything that happened in and through and beyond Isaac. Isaac was a piece of the much bigger plan of God, but it's a, a piece that we get to point back and say, this was the promise that started it all. When Sarah and Abraham lost sight of God's plan, the promise for the son became the only thing they cared about. It wasn't about God's timing anymore for them. It wasn't about this is what's going to happen. It was a, this is what we need, and this is what we need now. And they lost sight of the big picture. They, they kept focusing on the words of the promise and not the why of the promise. They were sincere, but I think they were sincerely wrong in what they did. And then they were, they were not doing well in the waiting game. But then God delivered, and wow, he made sure that he was known through it all. It was an incredible blessing to them that still bleeds through to this day for all of us. Now, let's go back to the disciples. They're waiting in Jerusalem, Acts chapter two, right? They, they knew the history of God keeping his promises, which could work in their favor or work against them. I mean, if any of them are thinking about this story in particular, Jesus says, go wait and pray, the Holy Spirit's coming. I don't know if some of them may said, oh man, that took 25 years in, in Genesis. Whew, we could be praying for a long time, guys. We don't know, but, but we do know that they were likely sad to see Jesus go, but I bet you anything they were waiting with a whole lot of excitement and anticipation for what was to come. Jesus gave them one more promise when he left. He said, I'm going to come again the same way that I left you. And the disciples knew God's story is not over. This is just the next step. This is just the beginning of what Jesus has really done in our lives. And it's going to go in amazing places. God still had plans for him. And we get to see that unfold specifically through the book of Acts. Now, as they go into the upper room after Christ's resurrection and his ascension into heaven, we see them begin their waiting game. But like I said, I think this is a little different. This isn't just the God made us a promise, oh, man, it's taking forever. I really think when they went there, they were excited for what was coming. I really think they had this big anticipation for what Jesus had just done because they had just seen some incredible things. So they waited, and they waited with excitement. And I think that's a key not just for the disciples, but that's, just, that's for us too. I think when God makes us a promise, and we say, "All right, God is saying this to me. God, God is doing this in my life. You know what? I've I've given my life to God, and I know things are going to change." I think when we wait, there is an awesome anticipation we get to have when we wait for God's promises. It doesn't have to be a, man, he promised me one day, and I am just waiting, and I'm tired. And I know those emotions come with it. We're human, and we we battle these emotions and ups and downs. But I really think that when we're waiting for God, this gets to be a time where we get to shine and show that we we can still pray. We can still celebrate. We can still come together. We can still go out and do our mission he's called us to, knowing that his timing is the perfect timing doesn't have to be a sad wait. It gets to be that anticipating, exciting wait. They knew it wasn't over, and that was not a depressing thing for them. So they waited, and they went to pray. And a day passes, and then two days, and then three days, four days, five days, six days. A week passes, still nothing. They're still waiting. They're still praying. Eight days, nine days. But I love that it doesn't say in here, The disciples got tired of praying. The disciples were bored, wondering what's going on. Disciples were leaving the upper room, saying, what's going on? He's not here yet. It doesn't say that. It says they kept going. And on the 10th day, Jesus delivers, and the Holy Spirit comes. More on that in just a minute. But the most awesome part of the story is still unfolding today, and that we're a part of it. And I think just like the disciples, we get to wait with expectation. We get to know that God is going to keep the promise that he made. God is going to come again. God is going to be there. God is going to make us stronger and better through these hardships. And we get to anticipate and wait with the expectation that God is doing a good work. And we get to be excited about those plans, even if we don't understand them yet. Now, I'm... I struggle with details a lot of times when I'm planning something. And that's why, uh, that's why my wife is so amazing because she will ask the, did you think about this? Did you ask about this? And, and the, the board here at, at Celebration Church, man, you guys have an incredible team who asks me a lot of detailed questions that I can look over. And when I was a children's pastor doing events, I had people around me that could ask the detailed questions because sometimes it's hard to do things if you don't know the details. But in our lives, we get to know that God has the details. God has the nitty-gritty. God has all the things that we don't know, and we get to trust him even if we don't fully understand it yet. If you're a detailed person, that's like hearing nails on a chalkboard right now. God has the details. You don't get to know the details, but God has the details. We get to be excited that he has it. He's got it. He's got it, and he is actively working on it. And we get to wait exciting. It sounds harder. I mean, it is harder to do than than it sounds, right? You've got to be excited in these times. If God or anyone makes you a promise that something will happen, it's so easy to get excited. But then if days go by and weeks go by and months go by or years go by, not only sometimes do you forget about that promise, but you start even losing faith in that person. think so they're not going to hold up their end of the deal. They said this, they're not doing it. You can, and then, And then we can even translate that same attitude, even though it's people, we can translate that to our walk with God. We start saying, all right, God, come on, it's been time. I've been praying for financial relief for so long now. I've been praying for work to pick up for so long now. I've been praying for for this person to understand me for so long now. I've been praying for forgiveness for so long now, and this person's not doing it. We don't get to know all the details of God's working, but we do get to know that God is faithful to his promise. If we don't understand, we still get to be excited for what he's doing. The key is, I think, that we don't get to a point where we know God is saying something, and then we do the opposite because we're tired of waiting. That's the key to this, making sure we're trusting in God's timing. <clears throat> we live in a place where we have a God who has a track record that is 100% every promise he's ever made, never faltering, never wavering. There's nobody here that can do that, except for my wife. I say that every time. But we, we, all, we all falter. We all mess up. We all have times where, where we, we know, even if you didn't do it on purpose, you made a promise and then something happened and you didn't get to fulfill it. Well, guess what? That never happens with God. He makes that promise and he always fulfills it. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. See, God wants us to trust in him. God wants us to trust that he will keep his promise. He wants us to be excited to see those promises fulfilled. And he wants us to be excited as we wait patiently for him to do it. He wants us to know that we're a part of his story. Not just our story. Not just what's going on in our lives, but we're a part of his story. Everything that's going on that he's orchestrating all together, we get to be front row seats involved in it. And when a story promises, a story where his promises come to fruition through us for his glory, not our own. See, I'm convinced of one more thing here. I'm convinced that waiting on God shows that we have our ultimate faith and trust in him, not in ourselves, not in the world, not in other people, but we are focused and fully trusted on him. When we don't wait on him, we're ultimately saying, you know what? I know I asked for this, God, but I really think I know best. I really think I've got this. I think I can. I can make this happen. I appreciate you're with me, but I've got this, and I don't want to get to that point. I know in my life personally where I'm taking matters into my own hands. I want to know and I trust that God has got it all. And let me give you an example. of Something I got to do while I was in California. Um, I made a promise to someone uh, named Andrew. Now, and I would do sports camps in California, and Andrew was a. a a really good kid who attended these sports camps. And this was his last year at the sports camps. And so during the summer, I would do a lot of fun things with the the kids. I would have a baseball camp and a football camp and a soccer camp. I don't like soccer at all, but I did a soccer camp because the kids like it. When I play soccer, I feel like the person out there that I stand there and I will try really hard and the five-year-olds will dribble circles around me and then kick a goal. It's, It's ridiculous. But we did the camps, and we had a lot of fun. Andrew was one of these these kids, and over the years, as he went into middle school and high school, he would actually come back and volunteer at these things. He was an awesome, awesome kid. But what I would do at these camps is it would be Monday through Friday, and on Friday I'd have a little postcard. We'd have little award certificates, you know, did this camp, and little medals and fun stuff for all the kids. And uh, I would have a postcard that also said, um, you know, this is is Creekside Church where I worked. If you come on Sunday, come see Pastor Dustin for a, a treat. And I would have, uh, whether it was a gift card or some fun things to pass out to the kids to to get them to come on a Sunday morning, you know, come check us out on Sunday and see what we do. Well, Andrew had gone to Creekside when he was younger, but his family went with um, another family to a pastor that was at Creekside went to plant a church. And his family went with them. So Pastor George planted Generations Church in Pleasant Hill in California, and Andrew and his family went. What this meant for Andrew, though, was he was not going to get to bring me that postcard for a treat on Sunday morning. He was less than thrilled to find that out. And he was like, you know, Mom, Dad, Pastor Dustin said bring this on Sunday, and they they were like, but we're doing worship on Sunday, or we're serving here on Sunday. Like, this is, we're going to be at at Generations Church on Sunday. And I saw the look on Andrew's face. He was just like, oh, and I didn't have the stuff with me. Then I was picking it up on Saturday. So I told him, I said, hey, just wait. I'm actually going to be speaking at your church in a few weeks. I'll bring some stuff to you. And I could tell he was still just like, oh fine. And and when when he left, I remember his mom telling me, I don't know if he's going to wait very well for this. And I I was like, I I told her, I said, I'll make it worth his while. Make it worth his while through wits. And I told him, I was like, just wait, I'll make it worth your while. So some time goes by and I was actually expecting his mom to email me and say, hey, Andrew's wondering if you can bring it by the house. They didn't live very far away. You know, can you bring this? He's anticipating this, this little gift. And I I said, um, but I never got that email. Never got that phone call, never heard anything about it. So all that to say, I went to Generations Church to speak. And uh, when I saw him, I actually called him up on stage with me during the lesson. I was like, Andrew, I promised you something um, for a postcard. Do you remember? He pulls out the postcard. He still had it. He said, yeah, you said if I brought this to you, I'd give you a gift. So I was able to give him a gift card, the same thing I'd given to all the kids that came to check us out. And I said, Andrew, now, I have a gift card for you. But what's great about this gift card is everybody got one. And I told you I'd make it worth your while if you waited. And you did not once nag me. You didn't nag your mom. I actually asked his mom before service, I said, has he mentioned anything to you about this? And she goes, no, he just had his gift card on his shelf in his bedroom. And this morning he made sure he picked it up to come to church because we knew you were speaking here today. But he had said nothing about it. And so I told him, I said, hey, Andrew, I got something for you because you waited so patiently. I gave him two more gift cards. So he had three gift cards. And he, was, he, he lit up, he was so excited. And I was like, I'm so proud that, that, that you waited, that you, you waited patiently for this. And I then found out that, um, I think it was Jamba Juice gift cards. He took his family to Jamba Juice after church. He said, I have gift cards, let's all go get Jamba Juice. He didn't even use them all for himself, which is really, really cool. But I loved that not only was I able to fulfill my promise, but I was able to go above and beyond and say, hey, you waited, you did great. You know, you, you, didn't, you didn't try to take it in your own hands. You didn't show up on my doorstep. Pastor Dustin, can I have this now? Because he knew where we lived. he didn't do that. He waited. And because he waited, he got a much, much bigger reward. And I think in scripture, we see examples of God doing so much when it comes to our waiting in the same line. The bottom line is this. God's promises always exceed our expectations. God's promises will always exceed your expectations. Waiting for God to fulfill his promise can be such an exciting time. When he keeps his promises, it shows his story at work in our lives Remember, it's not about us. It always points back to him. When he fulfills his promises, it always goes back to him. Our struggle is no different than Abraham's. God tests us, and he doesn't jump when, when we think he should. We don't get to tell God, you know, now it's your time to act. He doesn't do that. He works on his time. When we see our hope slipping away like Abraham, we, we want to jump in and give God a hand. Say, God, let me, let me help you out with this because I, I think I know how to make it happen. But God's not asking us to to help him in the promises. He's asking us to put our hope in him. He's not asking us to put our hope in the promise. Our hope is in him fulfilling the promise. Sometimes we can put our hope in our works and our personal ministries that we know God's called us to do. But if those become our focus, if we feel desperate when it seems to be slipping out of reach, I think that's when we start losing sight on who's really in charge. God doesn't want us to put our focus on anything but him, and we have to learn to wait on his timing. Now, we're going to go, we're going to read Acts chapter 2, because the payoff is huge for the disciples waiting patiently for what God has called them to do. On the day of Pentecost, the last day of feasts, when Jerusalem is celebrating, when many people from foreign lands are now here in the moment, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and it rocks the house. So, What I want you guys to know is the payoff is worth it. I'd actually like to invite the worship team up as I read this last passage here. The payoff is worth it, guys. Acts chapter 2 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now where they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these... Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygra, Philantha, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? (laughs) <laughs> that means God's timing's amazing right there. Can you imagine if, if God did that the day that Jesus ascended into heaven? Pentecost wasn't happening. All those people wouldn't have been right there to hear their own languages, to hear the gospel being preached. But God waited. He said, just wait. The Holy Spirit's gonna come and it's going to be something amazing. And when they waited, the Holy Spirit came. And if you read a few verses down, 3,000 people come to know Jesus that day. 3,000 people that day. Imagine if the disciples decided not to wait. If they just decided to go out and do it on their own, they wouldn't have been infused with the Holy Spirit to be able to reach all these people speaking different languages. But because they waited and because they knew that every tribe was around, some people thought they were nuts, but God knew what was gonna happen. God knew this is the moment where my promise gets to be fulfilled. You get to get the Holy Spirit that I've been talking about for a long time. And at 3,000 people, is no number to, to say, oh, you know, it's, it's, That's an amazing number. That's phenomenal. It is an only God moment. Because they waited, only God could bring 3,000 people to come to them and birth what would eventually be the very first church. Would you all stand with me today? If you take anything from today, take this. The payoff is worth it. When it comes to patience of waiting on God, the payoff is worth it 100% of the time because God is 100% faithful 100% of the time. It's hard. We live in a world where we want things now. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Veruca said it best. I don't care how, I want it now. It's so easy to fall into that line and we can miss out on an incredible blessing and an incredible opportunity to see God's hand if we have that attitude. So let's, let's wait. Let's be patient on what God is doing. But let's not be patient with angst. Let's be patient with excitement. Be patient knowing he is doing a good thing. Not just out there, I believe with all my heart, God is doing a good thing in this building. God is doing a good thing in this place with all you people. And I can't, I can't wait. I just talked about waiting. But I know that's the excitement, right? I can't wait to see what God is going to do in this place, through us, in this community, because we are trusting in him leading the way. Amen? God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that your timing is so good. I thank you that you are the keeper of all 100% of your promises. And I pray that as we, as we leave here today, God, as we celebrate your goodness, we celebrate the times where we have to wait because we know that you're in charge. We know that you see what the best timing is. We all see through all throughout Scripture what you do when people wait on your timing. So I pray for people, whether, it's, whether they need healing from a sickness. Healing from cancer, uh, relief from finances, uh, issues with jobs, issues with family, husbands, wives, children, whatever is going on, God, I pray that we trust in you. You give us the steps to take, but ultimately, God, we take the steps that trust you are in charge and in control of the situation. I pray that we excitingly wait for your hand in all of our lives, and we excitingly wait to see what you are going to do in this place, spiritually and personally. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen.